You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Night here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 2018 classic, I don't know, open 24 hours. Bing bong. That's the car driving over the gas line to let you know that it's time to fill her up. Yeah, a little bell to notify those inside that yeah. there's somebody ready to service. Especially handy when you're open 24 hours while you're like, you know, listening to dead air or the night shift or like watching YouTube videos or not even in the building. I do listen to a lot of podcasts at night and it causes me to have about eight hours of uninterrupted listening five days a week. And that means that no matter how big your podcast back catalog is, I'll catch up to you. Oh, I'm coming right behind you. Yeah. Eight hours, eight hours. That's, you know, that's this perfect job. If somebody just likes to listen to podcasts all night long, they could go and get a job at this gas station, which is the gas station that is open 24 hours. This is a Lydia pick if memory serves me. Yep, damn right. It's a little bit, I, I hesitate to say sleeper hit because it hasn't hit the hit level yet, but like... It came out in 2018. I I bypassed it over and over, and we'll discuss why later. Uh, but, like, I don't know why exactly this movie has gotten so many mixed reviews. And even those that like it, only just like it. Mm-hmm. And those that detest it seem to really revile it. It's hitting 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, if that means anything to anyone. But that tells me that it it's middling and those you know conflicting reviews are evening out. But it is better than I expected, far better than I expected. Before we go on, I do want to say hello to new listeners out there. I know you're there because I looked at the stats. We get even more stats now from like Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. And it seems that some of you have listened to the recent episodes, because we're back, like the man behind the mask. And, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, how more back can you be? Oh yeah. And they've gone and listened to some of our first episodes, some of our 2014 episodes, episode two and four and seven are getting like a lot of listens. So thank you to new folk out there. You can check us out at splatterpictures.net or wherever you listen to podcasts, because we're Virtually everywhere. Virtually, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of listening to us. That's right. I listen to my own show on Spotify because I'm a narcissist with a heart of gold. <laughs> I do too. I try and yell at my Google assistant to play our show and I can't figure out how to make it play our show without saying the whole name uh, succinctly because there's too many other dead air podcasts out there. Yeah. But hey, if you have a solution for us or a movie recommendation, let us know at splatterfitchers.net or wherever the heck you hang out online. Yeah. When you had told me about this film, I wasn't really aware of it, although I thought I was. And then when I actually looked at the poster for it, I realized that I was completely wrong with what movie I thought it might be. And that film that I thought it was is also on Shutter somewhere, but I couldn't remember the name of it and I didn't bother to look. But yes, I am. Uh, I also bypassed this uh 
I didn't even hear of it really. Uh, so this was definitely a treat for me because it's always good to expand our horizons, you know, watch some stuff that you don't normally do. And the nice thing about watching a film as assignment in the case of doing it for a podcast episode, it takes the confusion away. It's just like, oh, what are we doing? Open 24 hours. Turn it on. It's not sitting there trying to dis- decide what movie to to spend your time on, which is crippling for me. I hate choosing movies because I just sit there and be like, well, do I want to use my 90 minutes here or do I want to use my 90 minutes there? I don't know. No, and like you had mentioned last week or two weeks ago when we recorded last it was nice to sit down in front of the streaming service of choice and just know what to watch instead of sitting there and flipping through all of these goddamn titles but if it wasn't for being forced to sit in front of our favorite streamers of choice and flip through all these goddamn titles i wouldn't have stumbled upon this particular movie yeah i think it's really cool that um we can discover new stuff uh, i find that you uh definitely are more outgoing when it comes to horror than i am i i, I love being in my little corner in the 80s and the 70s and that kind of stuff but you're you're just like yeah what's the new shit west what's the new fucking shit and i'm like all right all right what's the new shit i don't know you know i don't know <laughs> what's awesome in that I want to find the new trends in horror, but I'm also striving for uh, like remakes of old ideas. I, I like to see things rejigged. And this is, it doesn't bring a lot of new things as far as the twisty McTwists and the sort of characters that they're bringing to the screen. They're a lot more modern, but it follows that sort of formula that a lot of slasher films do. Mm-hmm. Women in peril, a bunch of extra bodies to slaughter. Yep. Everyone you meet could be a red herring or a, a boon, or they could be a hindrance. Like, it's the same sort of formulas. But I, I like that in that it is a modernized tale with modern characters. Mm-hmm. Except for the trucker. He's not very modern. You know, he does seem very authentic. Uh, perhaps that's a that's a rude thing to say to any truckers listening to this on, on the long haul, but... Yeah, not the most woke individual I've ever seen. But this film, going into it, I had seen the trailer. Uh, I had an idea what I thought it would be about. But there is um, an aspect to this film that seems to be what I gleaned online. I didn't spend a ton of time looking at reviews, but just sort of reading blurbs here and there because I don't want other people's opinions of movies to poison my brain. It seems to be that the psychological aspect of this film, people either really dig it or they do not care for it. Yep. And I uh, can relate to both sides of that coin. Mm -hmm. I found it, on one hand, overwrought and not realistic. Mm Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, this could be this could mirror exactly someone's lived experience. Mm-hmm. Who are we to say, right? Mm-hmm. So I found it compelling and I found it it's good in that way that it keeps that mystery. We have this unreliable narrator, which I always like in fiction. Mm-hmm. It maybe doesn't always translate to the screen the way that everyone wants it to. Mm-hmm. But they struggled with that, I'm sure, as far as how to film this character. 
And I think they did a really good job. So everyone else who thinks that they didn't can kind of suck it. There's other places they failed that we could pick on. I mean, hello. It's a 2018 movie that was made for $400,000. And I don't even know if it's made that back. Yeah, that is a pretty good question. It was funny. um, My partner pointed out to me that it's a film by a Canadian production company filmed in Serbia, made to look like the United States. So it has a really interesting aesthetic. One thing that I think that this is unimpeachable with this film is the color palette that is used. The yellows are so striking. And I'm not a yellow fan. I just kept noticing over and over again how yellow was so heavily used and so many frames of this film were meant to look very picturesque. And it kind of kept reeling me back in because I kept finding myself not completely vibing with every aspect of this movie. Every time I was I was just like, oh, I kind of wish this movie was a little bit more straightforward or oh, one more draft for that plot point, please. But the second that I was kind of like falling myself away, I, I just kept noticing that the visuals were drawing me back in, um, particularly the shots of the convenience store exterior itself are gorgeous. I don't know if, yeah, they fa- I know if they found this convenience store or if they built it, but holy fuck is it cool looking. It is cool looking. It made me wish that they spent more time outside even though they do but it's in the dark and the rain but during the day um we get a very uh poignant shot near the end of the film Mm -hmm. of the outside in the day that is mirrored by the first shots we get outside during the day and it is a gorgeous place and i just like the layout of it i like everything about it it seems all of the problems with this film are contained in the first half hour or even first 20 minutes Mm -hmm. which is really unfortunate especially when you're trying to hook an audience it does kind of start out with with a bang so to speak you get that sort of flash forward moment Mm -hmm. but then it just sort of tries to draw you in with things that are abrasive and things that are incongruent characters that are incongruent and that first 20 minutes is just i think that's probably where there's a lot of those plot points you'd like to see a little right uh, rewrite or tweaking oh uh, uh, yes there's one towards the the tail end where i just thought to myself this is kind of a plot that has a hat on a hat you don't need both but fuck all that we've talked about the aesthetics we've talked about the visuals but we have not talked about what this movie is even about anyway lids this movie is about when a, a woman or anyone for that matter should not doubt themselves so so you're crazy that's fine. That's fine. What is your lived experience and what you're experiencing, what you're seeing needs to be communicated to the people around you, even if it is flaming men walking across a gas station parking lot at midnight. <laughs> Tell somebody. Tell somebody. This year, Burning Man comes to you. And you can't stop him. And you can't stop it because he's a man on fire. That's very, very accurate. Also, it just... Reminds me of the old adage, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yes, it is. Although this broken clock is right and wrong four times a day. She, our main character, Mary, I I, I love to hate. Mm-hmm. And I can't 
at first put my finger on it, whether it is the, the character, is it the actress, is it the lines, is it that they needed some reshoots for specific lines, is it delivery? Uh, and no, I don't think that's it. I think that they're just asking, it's too incongruent, the character it's acted well. She's delivering things well. Mm-hmm. She's getting her modes and moods right, it seems. Mm-hmm. But there's just the character itself is just too incongruent. Where you can have a character that is strong and weak. And a character that is uh, has her head on her shoulders. And someone's head on a platter. Like, you can have those things in a character but you need to stay within the boundaries of those extremes somehow Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't seem cartoonish or too incongruent and i've used the word incongruent already five times (laughs) and it really is all to do with mary's character she's a hard ass and she's not she's seeing things and she's not like Mm -hmm. it's too it's it's happening in too many places at once for me i tend to agree One of the things that kept striking me, I had mentioned this a couple of times while I was watching it, was how young of an actress she appears to look, yet having these sort of soulful thousand-yard stares reminiscing about when I was younger, I was young and dumb. And I'm like, man, you look like you're 16 years old. I tried to look up how old the actress was and i could get very little information about this person she was in the leatherface movie Mm -hmm. uh, that came out a couple of years ago but uh, i couldn't really get a whole heck of a lot of details but regardless of that i agree it's it's a little bit too soft-spoken but at the at the same time she did you know burn her serial killer boyfriend alive but uh, and she's two weeks out of prison and she's getting her first gig overnights at a gas station in the middle of nowhere. I was like, totally. I was like, could you not have tried Walmart first? You could be a greeter. You, yeah. You could go work at Starbucks, man. Yeah. Especially since I guess your boyfriend is imprisoned not too far away, but I guess we'll talk about that later. The thing that I really, really bumped into was her friend Debbie who is possibly the worst friend this side of Rose McGowan in Scream as just one of the worst people that you could ever want to be your friend if you were dealing with PTSD. The amount that she tells people to, A, get over it, stop worrying about it, like, like you just have to move on. And then when she says that she is having... um, hallucinations based off of her trauma she don't tell your doctors don't tell your parole officer don't tell anybody why because why static why why would like because if you go to your doctor and say hey my medication's not really doing what we hoped it would do can we either up the dosage or maybe try something else like is there something we can do because this isn't really helping me get her in jail she's crazy like that's not how any of this works no it's certainly not especially considering her crime wasn't you know a decapitating random person it was yeah a a very specific crime of setting her serial killer boyfriend on fire who had been traumatizing her it's not like she found out and it was retaliatory that way it was uh it was self-defense in in many ways after years of abuse abuse so like those those mm-hmm. things, that's where that incongruity is that she is a, an old soul, so to speak, 
trapped in this very young body. It's hard for us mm-hmm. to believe that she had had lived long enough to be traumatized by this unless she was dating him when she was 12. So it just doesn't work. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate because we need to be able to look past that and see all the other good things that we see in this film, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not her fault. She looks young. I know lots of people that look I, way younger. That, but... That's, I know. Like, I was actually thinking about that as I was saying, I was like, you know, I've looked at actors that look like they're teenagers and then you look them up and they're almost 30 and you're like, oh, okay, I guess they just, they just happen to look young. So it is not her fault. But I just kept bumping into it. I was like, nobody who was filming this movie thought that just to change a couple of lines to stop referring to oh oh so long ago i i I just something about it really bothered me but really it was her friend i was just like this is the worst friend ever no exactly (laughs) and like people who have suffered this sort of trauma and are suffering uh post-traumatic stress unfortunately probably have all sorts of friends like this and turn to them as their fucking web md of the day unfortunately and they're being fed all this bad information like oh you'll get over it oh it just takes time or well are you taking your meds and then problem solved and as you Mm -hmm. so eloquently put it static because they have no real opinion they have no real solution they have no actual Mm -hmm. advice and they're not even being good for you to listen to if you're not seeking opinions or advice anyway you just want someone to listen to you or someone to believe you in this case um because it's tough for her to discern what is fact and fiction Mm -hmm. and one of the things that really stuck with me is that she relies on her medication like it's an alka-seltzer and i mean (laughs) man even ibuprofen doesn't work like that yeah let alone ativan or risperidol or whatever it is that she could have conceivably been given to deal with her post-traumatic stress ativan is fairly quick acting if it's sublingual ativan and i'm no doctor but I don't think that's what she was taking. I, I don't know, but nothing acts that quickly. If you're suffering a hallucination, you often should go straight to the emergency ward, really, mm-hmm. quite honestly, and have mm-hmm. your doctor called, like, period. Choking down a pill and talking to your friend at the diner is not going to help. Choking down her pill with no water in the first time. She just popped that motherfucker like it was an insulin shot to get rid of a hallucination. Yeah, I do that, though. I dry swallow pills all the time even those great big horse pills of my uh uh, omega oils yeah Um, oh my god i I didn't realize you were that hardcore lids even chalky old aspirin chalky old aspirin you're just like open up the goddamn pill container i'm gonna swallow it all dry you fucking pussies (laughs) pretty much pretty much Um, that's me hard hard almost as hardcore as our character here the way she smokes cigarettes so angrily I can tell you who's the angriest motherfucker in this goddamn movie, her parole officer. When did they get this hard-boiled guy from a movie from, like, the 30s to come in and be her parole officer? He's like, yeah. I don't buy it. What are you? Listen, you. Like, he's just so aggressive. I love him. I love him. And he takes, you know, if she was even a shade softer... It would be mm-hmm. awesome to see them interact because he is so hard-boiled. He is a real hard case. He is someone that maybe should have been a serious crimes detective, but he's stuck being a yeah. girl officer, so he's got this, like, anger. <laughs> he is hardcore. 
Like, he's a traffic cop that takes it way too seriously. He's like, I'm saving lives out here, motherfucker. He doesn't seem to have care for her either. He cares more that her phone is plugged in so he can check a box on his forms. He he has this vibe of the hard ass with a heart of gold. Where you, you he's like screaming at you and yelling at you. But deep down he cares. And there's like little moments at the end of the episode where they just nod at each other knowingly with pretty music. If this was a sitcom. And it might be. These are the cast of characters that she's going to be surrounded by in and out. There's always reasons for her to not really have communications uh, because of her phone uh, phobia. That's based off of another one of her hallucinations because the telephone ringing is is triggering for her. Right. So with with all of that in place, we immediately the film spends the first 30 minutes. She is I mean, I don't know how to say it delicately. She is bugging the fuck out every five minutes. It is like from opening a door to like looking across a park. She is seeing things. She is hearing things immediately. Yep, it would have been uh, easier to swallow had it been a little more subtle, but it does lend itself to some very interesting backstory concerning James or the Rain Ripper, her ex-boyfriend, who is now incarcerated and burnt to a crisp, to guess, because she set him on fucking fire. And also just some very interesting visuals where she's at the diner with her shitty friend. Uh, who all of a sudden has blood pouring down her face and the effects are very good actually so Mm -hmm. I I enjoy that that's what I really enjoy and that's what kept me watching is okay so I'm kind of got this hot and cold running character that I don't know if Mm -hmm. I like she does Mm -hmm. I will say redeem herself entirely the last half hour of the film I love Mm -hmm. her I forget that she looks young but they could have fixed it with just a little like dark contour on her cheeks or something I don't know but Mm -hmm. it does lend itself to this backstory that we're not necessarily spoon-fed because we're getting it all in like little bits and drips and drabs from her Mm -hmm. hallucinations her reactions what she has to say to her parole officer the bullshit that her dumb ass friend is spewing who at least is a good friend in that she'll drive her around right driving to work and you know helping her out with uh with that type of stuff the parole officer did technically get her the job um you know so like the people around her i guess have that tough love attitude like debbie's like get over it we gotta like move on with your life and this is what we're doing and her parole officers like straighten up and fly right or you're going back to jail and you don't want that because you're a good person and big ed at big ed's gas farm or actually, what is it? Deer gas? Deer? It's market? deer gas market? Yeah, deer gas market or something like that. Yeah, it's not Big Ed's gas farm because that is from uh, Twin Peaks. I love Ed. He has an edge of this hard love too because he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'll give you a chance. Yeah, I go with my gut. Don't fuck shit up. Yeah, man, does, does she fuck shit up? But the other character we forgot to mention was, it's Bobby, right? Um, yeah, Brendan Fletcher, my favorite actor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I This makes me want to revisit Rampage. Maybe we'll do it on the show someday. Rampage. We never did do it on the show, did we? We never did Rampage, no. Yeah, like he is Uwe Boll's right-hand man in so many was, ways. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm more familiar with him from like Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. Because um, I've seen that movie quite a few times. But he was... Uh, very likable, very charming, very sweet. I was like, oh, he's just like a nice good old boy yep. with a jean jacket. That's good. I like him. He's a perfectly cast character, too, because he doesn't mm-hmm. come across as skeevy. He does, no. like, say in the honest 
organic way that she, he thinks she's attractive in yeah sort of like looks pretty good from where i'm standing and nicely yeah he's not creeping on her he doesn't press even though he knows a little bit about her background um mm-hmm. that she does have a charge of some sort but like he doesn't let any of that taint his perception of her he's not you know he's checking in because she's just started the job tonight and he's been working there for however long but he's not checking in in a skeevy way and he's not checking in in a a mistrustful way Mm -hmm. he's just a very good and well cast character very well acted totally Mm -hmm. awesome bobby's an awesome character i really like him here and uh so they start working at this 24-hour gas station. Her friend doesn't trust any of it. So we do get some yeah. interaction shots uh, of her and her friend in the store when she's starting her shift and Bobby showing her the ropes and then making his first exit because he comes back. But then mm. she is alone in this gas station. And we get this, the, the, the world closes in because now instead of at the park, the diner, her apartment, wherever she roams, we are in this gas station the rest of the show yeah um it's uh it's it's pretty cool i was thinking about the fact that when i was a kid and before i was old enough to really have a job i used to think about what kind of job i would want and it was always jobs like this it was either this or a video store but a place in which i can sit and snack and watch like they had like old horror movies on on the tv i saw i thought to myself oh yeah like this is definitely the shit and it's a good it's a good job the only thing that kind of creeps me out is the fact that like you know it is a truck stop like in the middle of the night so i don't know like how cool i would be with a with a friend working that kind of job because i would i would think to myself Ooh, what if creepers show up you know enter our first creeper the truck driver with no name <laughs> the truck driver with no name he's uh got all the red flags i think he's even got like a fucking john deere hat or something like that which is uh not exactly uh confidence boosting but yeah he's just all over just like a slobbering pervert really and maybe i have tempered my attitude towards perverts after having dealt with so many and being able to gauge on upon interaction the ones that are, you know, harmless, mostly harmless, neutral, and then getting into chaotic evil as you go mm-hmm. forward in that that timeline of insanity and skeeviness and who is somebody you need to shut down immediately. And he does that good dance of being right on each side of neutral. He says something very filthy yeah. and then he his reactions where he knows he's being put in his place and his body yeah. language and everything like very well acted as far as a pervert yeah. that you can easily put in your place and would yeah. would definitely defend you if someone were actually crossing very distinct yeah. boundaries. He seems like uh, he wants you to bust his balls a little bit. He's he's playing that game where he was like, all right, I say something pervy to you and you fucking, you know, call me a pervert or like, you know, shut me down and yeah. shit like that. And that's the sort of like spicy interaction. Well, apparently it was some success. Because yeah. apparently he's slept with people at this store before. He did uh, uh, pay them, though. So, Ugh, you know. fucking believable. Which makes sense from the sort of guy, you know, that's yeah. portraying. I mean, 
the fact that he's doing this to somebody in a position where they can't really defend themselves or speak openly because it is in a service that I do not condone. And that is what makes me hate him even more than he deserves because you should never put a waitress, a clerk or anyone like that on the spot like that because they are unable to properly defend themselves or properly give you a piece of their mind. It's it's disgusting to me when people behave like that to people in yeah. a service position of any sort. So it's it reminds me of when I was uh, in the dating world and I had met somebody uh, via a dating app and they had worked at a McDonald's that I used to go to a lot. And I said to her in in the 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 comments or when we were chatting with each other oh uh, yeah i know i've seen you at that mcdonald's and you know i always thought you were really cute and they said to me uh well if you thought i was cute why didn't you ever say anything i was like because you're trapped there what am i supposed to do like like hey man like i really think you're attractive anyway i'll have a big mac and some fries please and also i don't want i don't want to like hit on somebody and then let them know my sloppy mcdonald's order that's a place of shame lydia and so i'm just trying to say that i know what you i know what you're uh, saying completely and i mean the sort of nefarious thing that he does which he could get a pass because this could be accidental, but nobody thinks it is. Even Bobby, who yeah. gets caught up on this situation, does not think it's an accident. He leaves his credit card after getting gas and chips and whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. So he is planning on coming back when she's even more vulnerable, perhaps, later on in the evening, which is not cool. Not fucking cool. Also, uh, let me ask you this. You ever have yourself a pickled pig's tongue? their lids no i thought they were pig's feet and i was stoked because i was like yes someone eating one on camera you head cheese was given a bad rap in texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> so i am all I'm... about like defending these wholesome nutritious country foods like pickled pig's tongues i've never had head cheese before it's a shame it's such a shame <laughs> i i hadn't even heard of head cheese until texas chainsaw massacre and then afterwards it was he may as well just been saying you ever have gobbledygook before because i just it never occurred to me that it was anything like i couldn't even fathom what head cheese was but um yeah that that's something that i just kept thinking about while the movie was going on there's like these three gnarly ass jars of pickled eggs and pickled pig's tongue and there's a third jar with god knows what in it who knows i think it was either turkey necks or pig's feet one of the two pickled turkey necks you say yeah yeah (sighs) yeah no all all delicious all nutritious all great byproducts of our favorite animal (laughs) that can't be true what do you mean? They can't possibly be good. Yeah, oh yeah. If my mom were still alive, I would have her whip you up a jar of pickled pig's feet that would make your toes curl. It's so good. It is mouthwateringly good. It's tangy, it's meaty, it's it's briny, pickly. Isn't there a lot of bone? Like, what am I supposed to be eating with pig's feet? Uh, You eat around it, and there's gristle and stuff. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I know, it's delicious shit, and I like that he just gnaws on down on that (laughs) i've never eaten a pig tongue um but i would i would try it this reminded me quite a bit of sitting at the dom so i suddenly do miss the dom where they had the jar of pickled (laughs) eggs and stuff like that their pickled eggs were very good pickled wieners or sausage or whatever they were Mm -hmm. yeah i kind of miss that but i like that 
to break the ice, so to speak, between her and Bobby when he's like, okay, I'm heading out. Do you have any more questions? In parenthesis about the job. And she's like, does anyone ever eat the shit in those jars? <laughs> and it <laughs> lends itself to a very friendly, playful bit between her and Bobby. Before a very harrowing story that she tells, this is her Phoebe Cates uh, story moment. Let me ask you this. What do you think of our Todd McFarlane-esque serial killer James Lincoln Fields? Now, I found, like so many things in this film, the first half hour or so, I thought it was going to be like scream level of villain here. It's a ridiculous, laughable, cartoonish figure because we hardly see anything of him. Uh, he mm-hmm. has a ridiculous moniker. He has a ridiculous M.O. Everything about <laughs> yeah. him is quite ridiculous, quite honestly. Um, it's only when he appears outside of the gas station that I take him seriously at all. I don't yeah. mind him once we get to see him in action and once the real chilling nature of his modus operandi and the stupid song of raindrops or whatever. <sighs> so like all of that actually works after we know about it and if we can kind of discard that only after we've actually met him if we can only discard the first like 20 minutes or so when his killer as a serial killer sounds cartoonish and contrived he does sound ridiculous the mo of rainwater and bodies buried in a flooded basement and cleansing their body and his ridiculous and the song he used to play the the raindrop song from even though i do love ironic uses of music in horror i love when they take a a song you know it's it's uh mr sandman from from halloween it's just very effective to do that most of the time um but like all of it combined together and i'm like am i supposed to believe that this is a real serial killer because this definitely sounds like a comic book character it definitely does not sound like a real serial killer's mo because he the thing that's most unrealistic about it is he seems to have an explanation for the things that he does when most of the time serial killers are just like i don't know yeah i'm addicted to killing or it was um the shirami of my mother or i'm the beast yeah was a cartoon character that's the best way to describe him yeah it didn't pull anything out with me particularly because towards the end when he's holding court let's say and he has a lot of power in a particular scene uh, i could definitely see i was like okay this is cool his his catchphrase you like to watch it, that got grating on me i was like he could have said this like 50 percent fewer times and it would be just as effective or more effective than him practically see, saying it to her in every scene that they have together. But we are getting a little ahead of ourselves because beforehand, there's a lot of questions about how could it even be possible that this person is here? First, they're not entirely clear. You set your boyfriend on fire and it's like, is he dead? Well, no, he's not dead. He's in prison. She was released in prison, probably on whatever you would get for lighting someone on fire in presumably self-defense and being like in a strenuous mode and stuff like that. And there's a lot of things that are happening in this film that's fucking with this character's head. Not only does she have her own hallucinations, but there's also um, phone calls coming. 
And we know from the backstory that the phone is a very triggering thing for her because of the fact that every time it rained, she knew that her serial killer boyfriend, Mr. Wet and Wild himself, is going to get down on some bodies and he's going to play her an old song from the 50s that he really likes that says raindrops in it. And why not? Here comes the rain again. Why not that one? Yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, at least we would enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Huge, especially since it's about like um, you know talking to me like lovers do. The the he does all of this, but there's also a phone call from a woman coming in asking how late are they open. And this was the the time I had noticed a couple of things, and perhaps I'm the only one that did. But there is a lot of similarities, story beats that are very similar to the first strangers movie and from the way that the film opens up with what is effectively what is the end of the movie yeah to the fact that they have phone calls which are service serving as a bit of a is tamra there and the repetition of the exact same thing the ironic use of a song yeah you know the record player and then there's another story beat involving a gun later Mm -hmm. that is right out of the strangers So I kept thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I'm not accusing them of ripping anything off. I just saying that I noticed it. And it is just those story beats. And I'm glad you put a tack in that because I there was something kind of in the back of my mind that this is like and it's following a formula of and it's definitely that the characters are very different. and The plot is very different. All the things are very, Mm -hmm. very different. So it would take Mm -hmm. an astute mind like your own Mr. West did (laughs) to see that similarity. But you're absolutely right. And it is mm. effective and it works. It's done well here. I like the phone call. The phone call, of course, happens at a point. Luckily, the first 20 minutes of the movie has passed and we have decided whether we like or not like this character and are mm-hmm. continuing on this movie. I had grown to like her more than dislike mm. her. And I keep saying that, but I mean, it's not the actress. I, it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly what it is, but we can understand that she is seeing some things that are false and very Mm. little of what we think she's seeing is true is this phone call actually fucking happening she's already received phone calls that are impossible she's seen things that are impossible so is this actually happening this phone call and i love that feeling of dealing with an unreliable narrator it's it's also splashed into the fact that by the time she's getting these phone calls We've also seen her friend Debbie get attacked Mm -hmm. um, quite brutally. And you're just asking yourself, well, if she's imagining that, why are we seeing it and she's not reacting to it? And you know something is up because there are several scares in the movie before we have confirmation about what's actually happening um, that she does not that are not there for her benefit. Because as you know, um, as our listeners will probably understand, basically scares in horror movies work this way. Scares that are intended to scare the characters in the narrative and then scares that are intended to scare us. And usually if you see like we'll go to the strangers as a perfect example. Um, the, the, The no jump scare entrance of the bag man is the notorious scare that the main character of the film never realizes our Mary, our main character in this film, there's a similar jump scare. I just thought of it right now in which this rain slicked individual just sort of shows up behind her and she never sees him, but we do. And then the next thing that we know she sees is absolutely impossible because as the transport is pulling out of the lot, 
an on fire man, a version of her <laughs> ex-boyfriend on fire walks toward the 24-hour gas station. And we yep. know that she is seeing this. It scares mm-hmm. the shit out of her, but we know that that scare for the benefit of her explicitly does not absolutely work on us at all because we know it can't be happening. Yeah, it can't be happening. It's like your boyfriend was is not Jason Voorhees, although there are some things that make you think he might be. Mm-hmm. But, but the fact that someone is casually walking to you engulfed in flames is not possible. One thing I wanted to ask your opinion of, uh, we talked a little bit about the aesthetic of this movie, but what do you think of the gas station property as a whole? It's fascinating to me, isn't it? It's huge. It is huge. And it reminds me a lot of those sort of out of the way gas stations that, you know, I I have one in my mind. It's this uh, South Shore gas station near Tillicum Bay Road in the Nipissing district of near Calendar, North Bay, Ontario. And it is a little gas station that has a sometimes functional garage beside it. There was many times when Mm -hmm. it wasn't. And there is like a a junkyard of cars to one side. And behind it in the Mm. field, there's outbuildings that God knows what is fucking in them. But the building itself was a lot larger than it looked. Because when you walked in, you expect to see this sort of gas station type setup with a little convenience store. There was a fucking full on functioning restaurant (laughs) on the one side of it. So (laughs) I can see this labyrinthian almost back area and if they're helping truckers at all there could be showers and all sorts of stuff going on in this area seriously the when you go to the main area where the the food and and stuff is you're like yeah this tracks this is like a little gas station and you know there's probably like four or five aisles tops small aisles with just like you know, bric-a-brac stuff to capacity, like every inch is something that you could possibly sell because they don't have a lot of space. And then there's a little back room with some overstock in it. And you're like, yeah, okay. Like it's pretty big for a gas station back room, but okay. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Then you get, and then it's like, oh shit, Ed, the, the store owner has a sizable office. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. There's a pretty big office in here. And then you go into what amounts to the employee's change room. And I'm like, it's like a gymnasium change yeah. room. It's huge with rows and rows of lockers. There's like 50 lockers there. That's to say nothing of the bathroom area, which is massive. It works for me in seeing so many of these places near a place called Trout Creek in Ontario, where the main mm-hmm. highway used to go through the main dragon town. Mm-hmm. And there's a gigantic truck stop there that is probably very similar. And it's two stories. So take all this extra space and gymnasium style rows of lockers in the employee change room and add a second <laughs> floor onto this of, of whatever. And it's because the highway used to run through there. So we've got a Bates Motel right. situation, I think, going on here where that could have been a full functioning garage or it could have been, of course, showers and stuff for or a way station for truckers. A lot mm-hmm. of the time, if they want to sleep overnight in the parking lot they can come in shower eat store some stuff if they want to if they're going across the border and back and they don't want to bring stuff over the border or what have you buy some extra booze oh, that makes or sense, whatever yeah. for other drive back i don't know so that sort of thing works for me i can see it not working for a lot of people who expect this to be the gas station you walk into to get your marshmallows when you're at the cottage which is what it looks like when you first go in there yes 
It does. It does. And the, and in particular, um, my cottage is uh, up at uh, Lacta Farm, and there's a there's a little plate called Ladysmith, which um, has a convenience store in it, and it is it is that. It is very very small. Um, but um, there's now that I think about it, though, there is another place um, that's a little bit farther away that we actually used to get like our bagged ice at and stuff like that. And that convenience store is massive because it also doubles as a miniature hardware store. So there's actually like a whole back area where there you could buy tools and lumber and and uh stuff like that and there actually even used to be a place where you could buy like fishing rods and tackle and stuff like that so that was a pretty big place now that i think about it um in a in a little area that has like four houses in it like it's 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 really remarkable i'm considering that when this movie really comes into its own the last half hour or so Mm -hmm. she does venture out of the building and and we get to see some more of the environs at night granted so we don't get to really see it but it's very Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface chasing someone into the old warehouse or the old slaughterhouse or the junkyard or whatever. It's got those things that I love so dearly. (laughs) So we get to see that maybe there was a defunct garage or maybe there's something next door to this that is an old scrapyard or something. It definitely looked like an old scrapyard. So when when she went into that, I, I, I made a comment where I was like, what the fuck? Where did she end up in the catacombs underneath the Firefly property? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, this is crazy how stacked everything was. And you could you could say, like, well, is that something that's just manned during the day, I suppose? Probably. There was, a, there was a dog. At the very least, it was a guard dog. So I guess that's good enough. You know, I'm not too concerned with thieves. When we're back to our story, you can see that Mary is... At her wits end, she has a very powerful hallucination that occurs when these two uh, teens buying booze, uh, one of them wants to use the bathroom, comes back and says that the bathroom is flooded. And she goes to inspect this bathroom. By the way, like this whole convenience store, as much as I like the aesthetics and the and everything's very cool, it is the filthiest building this side of Contagion. It's run right? down. It yeah. is just... Holy fuck, is it dirty? You can Ed uh, is a large, older man. He walks with a cane. You could probably get the sense that he can't really keep up the place like maybe he used to be able to, and no one seems too concerned with it, I guess. But that toilet, good lord! She starts to see after like blood flowing up from a toilet. She sees James Lincoln Fields' victim, who she saw earlier that got hammered to death in the bathroom. And that is seems to be the hallucination that really sends her to the point in which she needs to tell people that this kind of thing is happening. Too many things have been happening to her. She's seen, she's been hallucinating for weeks, it seems. She's been getting these phone calls. Mm-hmm. It seemed that the visual hallucinations had died down once she began work. And we can deal with a few phone calls that may or may not be actually happening that probably are, might be. But this sends her, yeah, over the edge, and she is basically a shaking wreck, and I don't blame her. She's not fit to be working at this point. No, she's definitely not fit to be working, and she definitely needs some help with her medication and very intense therapy. But this is about where they introduce a plot point where I'm very shaky on it. 
And I understand that they want to do a bit of a red herring. I understand that they've been making you question Mary's sanity throughout this entire film. And if they had left it at this, I would say to myself, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't make the most sense, but not everything has to. But it does explain the female voice calling her. Now, she thinks she's having a conversation <laughs> with her ex who has half his face burnt and maybe she is having a conversation with it it's not very clear but she closes her eyes and sort of repeats that this isn't real she's gonna make him go away and who appears uh, before her but this grinning woman with high cheekbones and a rain slicker that is just like uh mr lincoln fields and you think to yourself okay she definitely has the same voice as the person on the phone. What's her deal? And her deal is she is the mother of one of the victims who is blaming Mary. I can swallow it. I'm there. I got it. I like it. I think it enriches the story. I get what you mean where it's too, like, we don't need this. Yes. Especially when we have some incongruent things that we're not entirely sold on to begin with. And then they introduce something else that we have the, the risk of not being sold on. But I like it because I think that that smacks of reality and the sort of vigilante justice that many people believe they need mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the face of maybe law enforcement that is not serving their needs as victims or families of victims. Maybe like a little Carla Homolka type situation. Yeah, very well. Uh, yeah. Could actually be based on the actions of many mothers of murdered and missing women definitely um not only are some of them mm. really acting in good and doing things that are very helpful to cases but after a case has been settled and somebody's incarcerated i'm not saying let it go but i'm saying don't hunt down and try and terrorize or get some sort of justice for or the two wrongs not making a right does she want to kill her is that what it is is she going to go and hunt her down and kill her is that what she's doing i don't i would i get the vibe and perhaps i'm wrong really only the writers would know but I got the vibe that she went there to scare her and didn't know for 100% that she was going to try mm -hmm. and kill her, but then does try to kill her. Like when she's in the moment and she's in front of her, she thinks to herself, okay, I'm going to actually kill this person. Fuck this. Um, it's it's a um, pretty good scene. It's a pretty cool knife. I, I don't mind this scene at all. What happens next, though, is this person is really dispatched Toot Sweet. We, she shows up a couple of times, but then when we finally have the revelation about who she truly is, um, she's shot in the head <laughs> by the parole officer. Uh, and the, the exchange that kind of made me <laughs> a little bit was... Mary just being like, is she dead? I was like, yeah, dog. She, she shot her in the head. Yeah, super <laughs> She's super dead. dead. And then Tom, her parole officer, is like, I was trying to call you. Wasn't everybody. Wasn't everybody trying to call her. She doesn't use the phone. What can they yeah. not understand about that? But I'm glad that Tom showed up. He should have showed up instead of trying to call her. But either what would calling her help at this point? There was a crazy lady. Now, we as the audience are like, oh, okay. So her serial killer boyfriend is still incarcerated. And we're thinking if you light someone on fire and the way we saw the, the, the apparition of him engulfed in flames, he may not be very mobile. 
he may be still laid up in the burn ward. That was my thought. But instead, he's really got more of like a... Like, that's how come, like, he really reminds me of a comic book character, like a Todd McFarlane spawn alley bad guy that would be in, like, some of the earlier yeah. issues of shit. Or, like, Two-Face. He's got some Two-Face vibes where he's just like, nah, I'm okay, just half of my face is fucked up. Because in a line, in three lines, actually... The parole officer is going to explain, we have to leave, even though theoretically the villain of this story has been killed. Why do we have to leave? Well, James Lincoln Field, because of the storm that's going on right now, uh, a bunch of prisoners escaped from the prison and James Lincoln Fields was one of them. And they didn't want to tell her right away because they didn't think he'd go after her, which is a ludicrous logic. But That's all he wants to do. Yeah. And obey. Oh, 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 fuck. He's right here. He's like standing behind you. We have no time to play with the idea that it could have been this mother whose name was uh, Carol Rogers. But they call her Karen Rogers at some points. But anyway, Mrs. Rogers. We have no we have no time to sit with this even for a few minutes of, oh, she wasn't no. seeing James. She was seeing this mother. We we get four seconds, and then the girl's dead, and then James is there. Yeah, and, and uh, the second that she was killed, she was shot in the head, I had this thought where I was like, well, this can't be the end of the movie. <laughs> First of all, it doesn't line up with how the movie opens, so none of that makes any sense. And then second of all, there's more time in this movie. It was like 25 minutes, 30 minutes left mm-hmm. in this movie. Like, what? so what the fuck happened? And yeah, you're right. We don't have any time to sit with it. And maybe that's why it bothered me. But also the explanation of it's so rushed. And I'm not saying you need to pull the taffy on this at all. But the problem with the red herring, the way that it's executed, and the fact that it's just like, it's this. I know it's not. Don't worry about that. In a line or three lines or whatever, they will just tell us, don't your boyfriend's out of prison. Did she get a job? Half a mile down the fucking road from the prison that he was staying at? Like, I don't understand. How did he even know? How did he even know? And I mean, with escaping from prison, it's interesting that you suggest that he may have escaped from a prison half a mile down the road, because that would make a lot of sense, because he might have stumbled upon her, walked by and saw her get out of the car with her friend, or saw her friend sitting outside that place and was like, oh, there's that bitch. (laughs) I'm going to go get her. I finally escaped from prison. One of these days, I'm going to get revenge on the person who did this to me. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But, oh, there she is. Yep, exactly. (laughs) That could have been how it happened. I don't know what. He wouldn't have had a lot of the power to stalk her uh, from in prison. I don't know Mm -hmm. how many people he would have had on his side or family or supporters. Hopefully none. But there's no one that could have been feeding him information. She has been out of prison herself for two weeks and just got this job on the fly starting tonight kind of thing. Like, she doesn't have a phone. She doesn't tell Mm -hmm. anyone. The only person she tells what her emotions... She only person... The only person that she tells what she's fucking doing is her parole officer because she has to. And she keeps as much from him as she can. Yeah. It's like no one really knows anything about this girl. It looks like she just moved into a fucking hostel. Like you can tell that this place was uh, this. like when I saw the buildings that everyone was living in and stuff like that. That's how come I had to look up where it was shot. I was like, this was not shot in North America. <laughs> it's impossible. It is a horror movie, though. Right. And we love horror movies. Yes. And we love to suspend our disbelief. Mm-hmm. And 
in one mind we're like how the fuck did he even know this how the fuck did he even get there how is this even possible we're also <laughs> like awesome this is now getting good yeah because every time that i kept sort of saying to myself when i was watching this movie i wish this was just a little bit more straightforward like i kind of it was like when i was watching the boy and i was just like i really just wanted it to be a haunted doll like i, I just wanted it to be a fucking little little, little puppet man um but this twist, I put it aside because as much as I think it could have used another draft, some setup later, earlier on, there has to be, you had to, something. Fuck all that. Because the next scene is so well done. It's so good. And you could really tell, I don't know if this is what the filmmakers cared the most about. Like if this scene was something that they really envisioned very strongly at the beginning. But it certainly comes out as a scene that has the most care to it. And that is James Lincoln Fields with his row of victims. And he is going to kill them in three different ways while simultaneously psychologically fucking with Mary. Very good scene. And the second that that sledgehammer went down on that dude's head... I said out loud, oh, this is why Lydia likes this movie. <laughs> Oh, you did not. Okay, you probably did. Uh, no, I had I had fallen for this movie. Uh, even after that shaky launch, I was fine. I settled into my in-flight entertainment like a good girl. And I was pleasantly surprised with this. My thoughts were similar, but it was more like, oh, that's why Brendan Fletcher is in this movie. Because he seems to just be in these <laughs> unexpected gore fests, right? So I, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. So he's got Debbie tied up and with a bag on her head. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually, yeah. And she doesn't, she has her hands tied. So we don't get that horror movie fun of like, why don't you just tear a hole in the bag? We can't. So, <laughs> and she's got, he's got Bobby tied up there and Tom. Mm-hmm. So it is a, a merry gaggle that he can. Mm -hmm. Uh, sit there and do his soliloquy which is actually not too bad because considering if you think like of him as a comic book villain and you're not sold on his mo you're not sold on their relationship or anything like that he does have a pretty chilling and convincing speech here it goes on a little long maybe but um Mm -hmm. considering that we didn't find him scary well, now we sure as fuck do. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that the images of him with his half-burned face holding the sledgehammer with his rain slicker. And, and I was like, you know what? This is a very intimidating dude. Like, he has all the power in yeah. this scene. This I was like, you know, the, the actor that they got to play him, like, I buy it. Like, I was like, it's very, very good. Um, And the gore is very, very good. Like... <laughs> one of that dude's head gets turned into fucking chili. It's it's really, really uh, well done. The blood looks great in this film, but in this scene in particular, it's just, they, they go, do for, go it. for it. And I like that. I really thought up until this point, too, I know that it's not like a PG-13 movie, but I really did expect them to cut away. But they had let us know that they were mm-hmm. serious when it came to the gore game way back when, when Debbie got a hammer to the side of the face in her car. 
she turns after getting yep. hammered and we see a very good prosthetic hammer stuck out of her face physical gorgeous blood you're totally right mm-hmm. these are the same people i believe it's it's a man woman team sierra and josh russell who did the effects for the ritual as well now that the ritual was a gore fest oh. but it was well done right mm-hmm. so the, the ritual is yeah i really yeah. do appreciate the effects and the gore and the blood in this movie me too and the the tension is very good you have our our pervert trucker return um while at the same time uh, uh calling the police because he's back for his credit card that he oh so innocently left but you know he does the smart thing instantly calls the police it does do one of those things in these movies where i think it's funny is like you call the cops to a to a, a i think someone tried to rob the place like you know there's blood and shit around and they say go wait in your car and like one cop shows up one cop in one car and i'm just like seriously but you know that's what brings off this chase through the scrapyard because she's not able to save debbie she's wicked not able to save um tom and uh <laughs> even poor bobby delightful bobby um, kind of, it happens kind of quickly, but there's a huge thing in which she needs to get a gun that Ed has kept in storage, and there's a little bit of like, it, if you don't like uh, your final girls with like slippery fingers and like you know broken baby legs, this is probably gonna frustrate you a little bit to watch. But um, she definitely uh, gets a yeah, shot off. Yeah, of killing the trucker. Shot. The, shot. <laughs> unfortunately because he had just luckily placed that call to the cops and might have been some sort of help because he's a big strapping dude and knows his way around a brawl i'm sure but yeah so and then she has to deal with the trauma of actually killing somebody yeah that scene is actually uh pretty well done as a matter of fact and yeah you can tell that in the scenes where brendan fletcher is in them he's really carrying a lot of the scenes with like he's so He's been doing this for so long, right? He's got so much experience doing these types of horror scenes. He's seen them from almost any angle. And he's Canadian, which just is inherently awesome. Yes. Like we are. Yeah, like we are, obviously. A little good, a little too good, in fact. That whole sequence, uh, this cat and mouse game after Mary truly is alone now, facing off against her very real killer through the scrapyard, it took on this dreamlike hallucinatory aspect to it where I really, it was like the environment almost looked like it was mutating around her to be more violent, more horrific and more claustrophobic. And so I don't know if that was intentionally them trying to make it seem like this, it's whole thing could be again, just going on in her mind and, it doesn't matter that it doesn't make any sense where she is right now, why it's all of a sudden here and we didn't know about it before because this is her brain creating a worst case scenario for herself. But it really was pulling me in. Like I have to admit, as much as I was kidding the fuck out of this movie for a little bit, like I did really like this sequence. I love this sequence and the lighting, like you said, every angle is more menacing than the last the stuff that she's surrounded with, the hiding spots that aren't working, you know, that sort of thing. We've seen it in so many other movies. And 
I can say, yes, there are some classics, typically in the 80s and 90s, that really drive this home and mm-hmm. set the mold for this. This fits right on in there, this scene. I really enjoy this Agreed. Uh, chase scene through the junkyard kind of place. There's abandoned cars. You know how I love that. And I think that this scene mm. marries it with the beginning of the film in that the, the mm-hmm. things that I did love about the, the beginning of the film is that it really did sell me on this is a modern story about modern people with modern problems. Mm -hmm. This isn't a girl without a care in the world and a trust fund. This is a girl with real fucking issues and in a spot in her life that is very transitional. She's at a huge crossroads, but things around her are safe and well lit and clean. And she knows where she is and the people around her know what her predicament is here. The dead opposite is a nightmare under it looks underworldly just in its darkness and the reds that yellow is gone you're right and so it works in such good contrast because it's like you were in the city Mm -hmm. and you were safe and well lit but now you're in the country and it's dark and it's night and you're lost and I, i love that because it has my sort of hillbilly horror feel to it with the abandoned cars and mm-hmm. machinery and all that stuff oh yeah very wrong turn yeah very wrong turn mm-hmm. yes the weapons everywhere she finally grabbed herself a, a a rather stout looking shovel but i was i was saying as i was watching i was like literally you could pull she had a pipe um that looked pretty effective but like you could literally pull any piece of metal out of anywhere and it would do you pretty well yeah, i feel exactly a shovel works Oh, yeah, hell yeah. But, you know, during the struggle, she does make it back to the convenience store. Now, a cop did show up. He got his fucking face blown out. So she has a nice splash of uh, blood across her face. But um, she manages to do something which actually made me think that, hey, you know what? The writing in this is tighter in some areas than I thought. Because at the very beginning of the movie, they set up the fact that old Ed is a hunter Explains the gun in his locker. And two, he shot that deer, that big old buck. Yeah, he had to shoot it nine times. Yeah, and uh, she was going to now use it to take down her attacker and runs him through as he comes through the door. And uh, it seems pretty effective. Yeah, Leanna Quigley, your heart out, (laughs) getting impaled by some antlers, man. That is no fun. And there's part of me that thinks like, okay, where's the poetic justice in this? Deers have nothing fucking to do with his backstory or hers. But whatever. You know what what would have tied the whole scene together? Is if she, when she ran him through, she was just like, go buck yourself. Oh my god, I don't think it would have because that is very ash, very evil dead of you. Yeah, go buck yourself. Go buck yourself. It's funny. Listen, we're going to put that on a t-shirt. But I like it because it also, I guess if you want to stretch as far as film theory and, and her motivations and the poetic justice of it all, this is the dear gas market and it is her new life. Mm-hmm. This is her her direction from the crossroads, and she chose the deer. So now she has this huge beast with antlers that is like the representation of her new life, perhaps. perhaps. I know film theorist. Her freedom, perhaps? Her freedom, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot but of sense. What makes little sense is the fact that like after all of that, he, like Jason Voorhees, seems to not have died uh the things did happen it's not one of those situations where you're just like wait a second 
that means he was never there. No, he was there. You could see that there was the the buckhead was off of the wall. There was blood on the antlers. You could see that it definitely was there. But she's just going to walk out into the sunset and then get a new job as uh, a, a person who sweeps up hair at a salon at night. Yeah, which is a very fitting job. Perfectly fitting job. That's fine. Totally fitting job. I'm sure that someone is going to walk in there and trigger a hallucination any minute. Yeah, no, I did like that they proved to us that these bodies are there. Mm -hmm. That There's no way that this was going on in her head. Mm -hmm. Because up until the point where she opens her eyes, like she had at the beginning, at the flash forward, at the very beginning of the movie, she wakes up covered in blood in what looks like a gas station. And lo and behold, she wakes up covered in blood in the gas station. But then they proved to us right away that not, this was not all in her head. Because right up until that moment, we could have thought maybe that's where they'll pull this twist. This mm-hmm. let's scare Jessica to death, this yellow wallpaper or what have you, that it is all in her head. And I'm really glad that they don't go that route. Not that at this point they could, I don't think. Because if they had, it would just be way too much for us to swallow that all of this is going on in her head. Granted, hallucinations can be very, very real. Mm -hmm. They can feel very, very real. But I'm so glad that they went on with that. This was an escaped killer and the mother of one of the victims of that serial killer. Mm -hmm. As much as you think that that was maybe just a little too superfluous, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I liked that there was just two converging fucking killer hurricanes coming at this fairly defenseless woman yeah she no matter what was going to happen to her people uh, fate itself did not want her to have a good night at her first shift at a new job um one thing that i will say that i've been enjoying about the last couple of movies that we have done is the fact that you know you pulled me out of my comfort zone uh we did do to be fair we did do edge of the axe which is like fully in camp camp (laughs) less But, you know, the last two movies were modern films, which, you know, increasingly remind me that people are still trying. And as much as horror fans can levy complaints against modern horror, uh, particularly the stuff that gets the most attention, you know, why are there so many fucking demon possession and ghost movies? Whatever happened to the slasher, whatever happened to, to that... If I, I guarantee you, if this movie came out in like 1985, it would still it would be considered on par with like a Blood Diner or or um, the Mutilator or or uh, uh, the Prowler, just lesser known but still completely acceptable and and enjoyed horror movies. But for whatever reason, because it came out later, people are just like, wow, you know, five out of ten. I don't like this fucking movie because. But I was just like, everything you don't like about it, if this just came out in the 80s, you would consider this like a huge hidden gem. And that's the problem with horror. And I include myself in this. I'm not saying like, this is what other horror fans do. I do it too. I am so much more inclined to be forgiving about a movie that came out 30 years ago. And I'm hypercritical of movies that come out now. And I don't know. It's not fair, basically, is what I'm saying. Now, they have too much of a back catalog that we have in our minds to compare it to, unfortunately. And if this would have come out 
in the 80s, it would have been trendsetting and very forward thinking mm-hmm. to have a, a very young girl in this sort of situation. And we would have been on the tail of the burning bed case and things like that, mm-hmm. where retaliation for a, an abusive relationship was just getting some wind and news and traction. And there was court cases setting precedents to protect people in her situation and that sort of thing. So it would have been very, very timely had it come out earlier. Mm-hmm. And it would have been very an interesting portrayal of somebody with mental illness or a post-traumatic stress disorder because we don't know how much of her uh, mental illness would have existed beforehand mm. that she was able to be victimized maybe it lent itself to that perhaps but even though they don't really hit it on the mark there's a lot of things that people who have uh, opinions or experiences that parallel hers or have family members that do that can call this movie out like i bitched a little bit about the way that she treats her uh medication like alka-seltzer and things like that and yeah those sorts of things that maybe people could harp on it's not the worst portrayal of somebody who is experiencing delusions hallucinations or what have you they do a really good job of that so i think that if you had placed it back in when it has a little less competition from these golden era horror slashers it would have had better legs to stand on i don't know what the distribution is like that but it seems that the interest in this film is creeping up Mm. year by year which it's not gladly experiencing that sort of bump where it gets a little bit of buzz when it first comes out and then totally disappears the interest seems to be ramping up here and there and i think it's because of people giving it a chance i wish i could put my finger on what it is Maybe it is the fact that I've only ever seen one one sheet. I've never seen other representations of this. Uh, there's only one trailer that I've seen. There aren't multiple trailers so that it could entice people who are after different things in horror films. Had I known that the last half hour existed the way it did, I may have jumped on this movie a lot quicker. It's possible. I mean, this film doesn't even have a Wikipedia page from what I could see. I had to glean the very scarce information that I could find off of IMDb. And even a lot of the actors that are in it haven't done a lot with uh, obviously some exceptions, but yeah, it's, but I think is streaming is a double edged sword. One we have now in the modern era, more access to anything that we've ever had in mm-hmm. ever. And, but at the same time, we're crippled by choice and it will really take maybe not this year or next year, but eventually enough people will, all right, you know what? I am going to finally check out open 24 hours. Fuck. That's what you did. And here we are. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I'm glad we got to see it. I enjoyed this one. And the, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway aside from that, it is like a modern take and they, they made a very effective horror film at the end of the day, it's an effective horror film. Mm -hmm. If you can check all your fucking edge lord film critic shit at the door and just sit down and enjoy a movie, uh, which is really hard to do. I get it. But I want to see what this filmmaker does next. Wes Snipe says, go buck yourself. Dead Air Podcast. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it's better than drive on by t- open 24 hours room work magazine. <laughs> Damn. They did not like it. They did not like it. What do we got next for them? Next, we have a West pick. We do. You're next. Yeah. You're next. It's a wonderful film. It's a modern film. Well, modern-ish film. And I'm very excited. I was very surprised that you hadn't seen it because I just assumed that you've literally seen everything. But I am very excited to talk about that film and 
I can't remember the last time I was more pleasantly surprised by something that I had no expectation of liking. Yeah, I have I succumbed to hype hesitancy mm. as I often do, mm-hmm. like I did with the strangers. It was oh, people like this, I better <laughs> give it some time. I'm, I'm the a lot of time. I can't talk shit to you about that. I am the exact same fucking way if i've seen something that everyone else has seen i have seen it either because somebody else wanted me to or i saw it so early to get in front of the hype like like opening day opening weekend whatever the fuck but the second yeah like the second it's a week it's a week old i'm just like and everyone likes it i'm just like this might be for the sheeple but (laughs) couldn't possibly for be for me the aficionado that i am (laughs) we've just been fucking jilted too many times it's true be like oh man this movie's getting a lot of buzz let's watch it must be the scariest movie of the year yeah and then and you're just like oh it's normie normie chow gotcha yeah normie (laughs) chow that's pretty much it and that's what we just expect it's rare that horror films go big and we know that also inherently in our little horror hearts that people don't like good horror good horror gets bypassed all of the fucking time but the good news is as we said before people are still trying amongst all of that i'm Wes Knight. you can say on that note i take back my hatred of on that note oh my god and on that note i'm Wes Knight. <laughs> And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.